And welcome to episode 23 of the Brood Sages, Stormbound players with a head for the game. I am Freeloader, and with me as always are my co-hosts, Arthas and Sabaiku. Sabaiku, how's it going tonight? Fantastic. And Arthas, how are you doing? I'm doing very great. Well, we are the Brood Sages, and as a reminder, you can always follow us at Brood Sages on Twitter. Or for all of you who used to feel old, every time the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame announces their next list of inductees, our email address is thebroodsages at gmail.com. Guys, a uh, new month, new league. Well, not for most of us yet, uh, but we've got some community news about that. There was a race, not for everyone, but there was a small joust that's been organized by Kep, Arthas, and S Gamer. The race to the new Hero League. Prizes for the top three participants to make it. Even if you don't participate in the race, you were able to watch the stream in Discord. Uh, Arthas, how did uh, how did it happen? What happened? So this one is really interesting. Okay, um, the the original plan is to have people uh, register for this like little event thing, so that they're eligible for these rewards. Because uh, there could be some other person, random person in the world that gets the first place to Heroes League, but it's not even the end of the first day of the month yet. David, very skilled in the art of Rush, actually makes it as the world's first hero with a crazy ironclad rush deck and uh what's really surprising is well for for one he wasn't actually a participant but uh Brizosa decided to also give him some rewards because he actually had a very impressive achievement and that was uh not only making it to the heroes league in like five hours under four hours oh under four hours i think i remember Brizosa mentioned that he guessed five hours with his team and he was actually the most optimistic guess and david just went you know much sooner than that <laughs> and the, the the cherry on the cake here yeah is that david actually got a hundred percent win rate all the way to the top there against the first day of season reset against those maxed ranked demons he actually did it what a mad lad um because um MKM, who also uh, reached second place in the Heroes League. Very funny. He was multitasking. <laughs> um, so he was talking about his experience. It was very, very fun. MKM, taking the first place prize for this uh, event that uh, myself, Kep, and uh, Gamer organized. He takes the first place prize for, you know, like the 80 rubies. Yeah, he even he wasn't really close to like 100% win rate. <laughs> so David really pulled up some crazy shenanigans there um coming in third fourth and fifth place to heroes league today we got wolifan oni and critical pancake being the first five in the world to go to heroes league so very big congrats to these people i know it's a really long long journey to there especially when you know it's season reset everyone is here um grinding and all the diamond one players are reset to plat it's a very rough experience <laughs> yeah now those five can all play together and have fun and wait for everyone else to show up <laughs> i'll be there sometime in a week or two <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny that they actually have to wait because uh, when you're in heroes league guys uh you're actually unable to match with bots so you're only match with players but um heroes league still matches with players in diamond but, you know, because of how quickly these people were, these are probably the only people in Diamond right now, plus a handful of others. So <laughs> matchmaking for them is going to be very difficult. <laughs> they might have to, like, DM each other. It's like, hey, I want to play. You want to play? <laughs> let's go. Let's queue into uh, Heroes together. 
hopefully they're all in similar time zones. <laughs> this is the this is the only month where this will ever even be an issue, right? Because mm-hmm. everybody who makes Heroes League this month next month gets reset to diamond. That means even if David decides to break his record and do it in an hour and 45 minutes next month, uh, right away, he'll be able to queue into all the other players from the March Heroes League because they're all already in diamond. So this is a temporary issue for those guys, but it it won't take too long before it gets remedied, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely some growing pains in the first month here. Um, Oh, yeah. But but it's a one-time problem. Exactly. So, uh, speaking of a uh, uh, one-time problem and, and and slight changes to the leagues as they are, uh, Sabaiku, there's been some uh, uh, updates to the Heroes League. Yep. Uh, one of the things that was talked about earlier was special avatars, and Brzoja debuted those on Discord. Uh, a, a special avatar for anyone who makes it into the Heroes League. And then a really nice looking crown avatar with the month and the year for whoever takes first place. So uh, something to fight over for bragging rights, for sure. And just to clarify, it's not just being at first at any moment, right? It's finishing first? Correct. Finishing first in the month. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and Sheepyard said something about uh, wanting to, to to take an iterative approach to all of this, right? You know, they've talked about treating the Heroes League in the same way that they treat the rest of the balance changes, make small tweaks here and there, fix problems as they arise. Um, So we're looking forward to see what it looks like in a couple of months to see if anything does need to be fixed, if they come up with some, any great ideas for improvements or updates. Um, You know, really what we see now in March, if you make it to the Heroes League, you'll be looking at the first version, not the final version. Things are going to continue to change and evolve, and we look forward to see where it goes. And Arthas, it's not just changes to the league structure that's uh, happening, right? There's also uh, potentially, we hear word that maybe there's going to be some card changes coming up. I mean, like we heard before, there were, there, it's been pretty much confirmed that they're doing things like reworking Warfront and Heroic Soldiers, right? And we're all still very excited to hear what those are and uh, particular mechanic reworks do in terms of like the attack and defense mechanics that we already mentioned in episodes before. So we are still waiting on those. But other ones that, um, you know, kind of arose in conversation while Brazoza was hopping onto my stream in the Discord, things like um, them considering potential changes for things uh cards like sly boots and excited mousers because uh, the community is really saying how underwhelming those cards are for their abilities and how something like sly boots has like an anti-synergy with its movement and the confusion so there's a yeah. lot of that kind of talk but it's really hard to say whether or not they would be changed and especially how they would be changed but uh it's definitely up as a topic recently yeah, well, two cards that we definitely highlighted, right? When the confusion changes happened and there was a little more experimentation, um, I certainly was among those who played with Excited Mousers and Sly Boots and Melodious Kittens and were really just underwhelmed by the way the cards functioned, even in a deck that was geared around them. So uh, I do hope that this is something that they can fit in. I know they've got a busy schedule at Cheapyard. I know they've got a lot of plans, but taking care of these little things along the way would certainly help out in making the game just a little more, a little more interesting and the collection a little more usable. Yeah. It'd be nice to see some, some more of the cards that Cheapyard has introduced to the game, uh, getting to see 
you know, I don't want to say maximum amounts of play, but but at least, you know, it'd be nice to run into them. Um, so, Baiku, there's also an ad-free battle pass uh, uh, being mentioned. What do, you, what do you know about this? Something that they're working on, some economy changes. Hopefully, when you buy the battle pass, the premium pass in the future, you'll be able to get an ad-free mobile version of the game um, where you just earn extra coins per win. We don't know anything about how it will function, but it's something that they've been talking about and is rumored to come. So, uh, you know, as somebody who plays primarily on mobile, I don't play on Steam hardly ever. Um, I'm very much looking forward to this. Another economy change that is being discussed is tiering gold per win based on the league that you're in as a potential solution to, uh, to incentivize players who stay down in platinum farming with their max level collection to move up in ranks a little bit. If you get 10 gold per win in platinum, but 20 gold per win in diamond, would that incentivize you to move up even if your win rate goes down a little bit? I think uh, I think it would for most people. Um, so that's something that they're working on implementing, hopefully in the near future also. Um, and I, I say that not as somebody who plays primarily in platinum and gets farmed, but as somebody who plays primarily in Diamond and wants to just see more players there and see queue times uh, decrease. Yeah, that would be really nice as well, wouldn't yeah, it? Just, um, I mean, just to just to elaborate on the little changes they were considering with like um like golden below, you'd have the uh ten gold you know for win, and then you get the plus ten from watching an ad for platinum. It would be fifteen plus fifteen. Diamond and heroes would be twenty plus twenty. Like those are some serious goal changes, and the uh, just to uh to like remind you guys these are all you know these are all changes in terms of like how fast you're going to be gaining your gold like um you know in in how many games you're playing but it's not like the gold cap is going to increase i'm not going to say that's a bad thing for most people this is a very good thing not ev- there's only a small handful of people who really do go to, go to the gold cap every single day right because that's a lot of that's a lot of commitment that's a lot of time and a lot of games right so this hel- this actually helps so many players and actually still helps those people who do grind the gold cap every day because they finish much faster right it's it's much nicer provided their win rate provided their win rate doesn't drop too much as they move up (laughs) we shall see if these farmers actually have this skill but anyway (laughs) (laughs) take that with a great guys i'm sorry but the thing i'm excited about is especially for like the diamond and heroes league like this very small percentage of the percentage of the player base that's actually in Diamond and Heroes League. Um, queue times tend to be like quite long, like very long. Yeah. So now, even with the long queue times, it makes it worth your time for actually winning because you get so much more gold now. So that makes it so much nicer. You know, it's a really nice quality of life type of thing. Makes it a little less likely at the top levels that you'll run into a bot. Makes it a little less likely at gold and platinum that you run into a farmer. Uh, hopefully, makes the experience better for everybody along the ladder. Yeah, I think that's the the big the big takeaway from this, right? Recognizing that there are I don't want to call them inappropriate behaviors because it's not an inappropriate behavior if the economy is set up in a way that incentivizes certain behaviors. Well, then it's just not, you know, it's just kind of on the devs to say, "Okay, well, let's change the economy in a way that incentivizes behaviors that we want to have happen instead." So, if they do recognize this is reducing the level of fun that a portion of the player base is experiencing, 
all for it, right? Like 100% do this. This sounds great. Exactly. And as somebody who does not come close to the gold cap most days, I would certainly appreciate a little uptick in my resource accumulation, earning more gold per win, gets me more upgrades, makes more decks viable, makes me have more fun the whole the whole way too. Oh yeah. I'll always take more gold, please. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, let's move from upcoming changes to uh, a previous change. Uh, we've now had Temple of Space for two and a half days uh wow that's a long time i know uh arthas have you been experimenting with it i played a little bit but it, it's, it's just really hard to play with how uh low level mine is because right now it's level three and i spent a lot of fusion so just to get it to level three um i'm a bit frustrated that i spent that much um not because the card's bad or anything it's just uh i just can't play it the way i want to because how of how under leveled it is but it's definitely a really cool card and there's a lot of optimization that can come into play that I'm seeing. Because uh, one of the things I noticed was uh, I was I think I'm I'm based on my experience. I'm it seems that my original theory crafting before the card released about investing on a temple of space on your second row as early as you can is actually really good for you in most cases because it really defends that area of the board constantly. Not to mention it's still very easy to set up aggression with the diagonal placements and bypassing units just for three mana. It's pretty cool because uh, I mean I've I posted some of my screenshots of like when this was really helpful and uh, I've been talking a lot with Berzoza. Um, he actually tends to like just do the full six mana combo most of the time. But I'm more theory crafting into like how to set up the card. Both very different play styles. <laughs> I actually found it really useful. I had the um, 15 tower quest. And it turns out uh, when you have a tower that behaves like Ami, it's fantastic for playing oh against God. a bot and just <laughs> cycling through <laughs> as often as possible. If there is one criticism that I would put out there, it's just the um, legendary rarity level of the card i think and this is my personal opinion this card is the most exciting card sheepyard has has introduced to the game it it's a brand new effect it is just so bizarrely like different way of playing the game and thinking about the game um i love it i think it's fantastic and the only thing that i'm i don't want to say sad about because i'm not sad i'm excited about the card but the only thing that's a little bit of a downer about the card is just the rarity level of it is going to make it very um, slow to get adopted. And I would love to, for this card to just be seeing a ton of play um, because of just how novel and exciting and fresh the games feel when either you're playing it or playing against it. Because in both cases, both players have to now deal with a new set of rules about how the game is going to be played, right? I don't know. I don't. I don't want to be. I don't want to be too down on the card because I think the card's brilliant. I love the card, but I just uh, even at an epic, I think it would be easier to to see more adoption. I'm just worried we're not going to see too much of it for another month or two. Well, I guess uh, that just uh, shows how excited I really am for the very, very likely promotional offer of like a big bundle of all the temples once they're all released. Uh, Kitty has said it's most likely going to happen after someone asked about it. So. Oh, uh, you, you, you can tell uh, I'm preparing my best card in the game, the credit card, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to slide from here into the sort of the main topic of the day. Um, and I'm going to propose sort of a concept, right? And that is that uh, card games, any card game 
uh, like like Stormbound, Magic the Gathering, Hearthstone, any of them. Um, they are only enjoyable. I don't want to say only enjoyable, but 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 a huge portion of the enjoyment you get out of them comes from drama, right? And 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 drama is about the fact that being quote unquote in the lead in the mid game doesn't necessarily mean the game is decided yet, right? Like the swing turn, the the comeback from behind, uh, uh, uh sort of part of the game is what makes card games like this exciting. Otherwise you might as well just play like go fish, right. Or, or, or chess, something that is just very sort of mathematical. Um, and maybe that's being a little too harsh to chess, but, uh, it's being certainly fair to go fish. I've played a lot of it lately. I can tell you. <laughs> um, uh, and so every faction has its strengths and its weaknesses within that kind of drama, right? Like there are times where I will be well ahead uh against a, a swarm player let's let's say right and they manage to just knock me down to like four or five and i recognize even though i've got complete control of the board if they've got vindicators this game this there there is there, there's drama there's excitement you don't know who's gonna win yet and and so those kinds of swing turns from each of the factions exist and at different times during just the one year, one month tenure that that Sabaiku and I have had, we've seen some of those swing turns be heavily nerfed or changed. I'm looking at Queen Bucks. Uh, that was a insane swing turn where you could have the majority of the board, uh, most of the units are yours, and then suddenly Queen Bucks Dreadfons comes out and the board looks very different the following turn. Um, we saw that get nerfed. We saw Aaron get nerfed. We've seen linked golems, which was kind of a very early swing turn from Ironclad. But within the idea that that these kinds of turns are necessary, we don't want them to go away completely. We don't want um, cards like, you know, like Queen to just disappear. There's also the question of are some of them unfairly balanced, right? And this is kind of the, the catch-22 of trying to introduce these. Uh, uh, if you have these kinds of turns, you create drama, but then people who are losing can still win a game. That should be okay unless it's getting ridiculous, right? And then it doesn't matter what you do for your first five or six turns. If your opponent RNGs into the right thing, the game's decided despite any skill. Now, Arthas and Sabaiku, I ask you this question. Over the last couple of months, we have seen Ironclad on the top of our meta report in terms of play amount, play frequency. Um, if you consider the meta report a relatively accurate representation of what most of the player base is choosing to play, and if we assume that they're choosing to play that because the power turns for that faction are better than the alternatives. Ironclad's been up there quite a bit lately. In fact, it hasn't been dethroned yet. We're hoping that it might be this month, but we don't know yet. It's still too early to tell. What do we think? Overall, how do we like how Sheepyard is gently making a lot of adjustments to the game instead of sort of making sure that Ironclad left, right? Early on, they did with Winter, and boy, did Winter go away the following month. <laughs> Job well done. Oh, um, that might have been too much, though, right? And so their their current tact tends to be gentle nudging of the power level of the power turns downward. I'm looking at Hunter's Vengeance right now. I'm looking at Fort Tonic. 
I'm looking at linked golems. These we've seen adjusted over the last couple of months. Aaron no longer can play Gift. What do you guys think? I'll start with Sabaiku. How do you think the game is being balanced? Do you like it? Yeah, I will say I do like it. I like that they're working with a light touch. I I think that they learned from the early changes to winter where they really did just destroy the play rate for quite some time until people started uh, figuring out new decks that worked. I think winter is actually in a pretty good place now, although admittedly it took some changes to the other factions for winter to get to a good place also. But people mm-hmm, are mm-hmm. finding decks that don't utilize Frozen Core that are okay stalling an extra turn to play Gift on 8 instead of on 7. And it's working out well. I appreciate the light touch. Um, I do think that it was appropriate that they hit Ironclad a lot because to your point about drama comes from doing something powerful with your turn, right? Like that that's enjoyable. It was just, it was coming too early with ironclad it was coming with linked golems and you had too many cards that you could combo with it to make it consistent it was coming too early with fort tonic because you had unstable costing only two mana and providing a hefty amount of strength also for only two mana so it was almost guaranteed to survive a turn so you could set up that unstable build and know that you'd be able to play a unit two units and fort tonic afterward Now, hopefully with that change to Fort Tonic, you know, knock on wood, I haven't been seeing it in my play today, at least on the first day of the month. And it seems to have really slowed down those ironclad decks to the point where I've been playing Winter Control and I can handle it. Not every time, but that's okay. I'm not supposed to handle it every time. Just the fact that I can handle it some of the time is a vast improvement. Okay, and Arthas, what do you think about the the sort of gentle touch in these nerfs? I know we say gentle, but I know there are a lot of people who are, you know, big fans of these really strong cards saying that these are like card killers, right? Things like um, a 50% increase in mana, right? From two to three, like that, that's actually big. Um, a lot of people are still overreacting. I don't know, maybe overreacting. It's debatable uh, that Chestnuts got murdered at level five. Which uh, low-key I agree with, but I know it's still a really good card. It's just people, I think, fail to see it. Yeah, Chestnuts got murdered, but also they deserved it. <laughs> yeah, they definitely deserved <laughs> it. <laughs> well, like- that, that that remains to be seen yet. Uh, uh, Chestnuts was one of the few cards, I think, that w- that when Winter is really strong, it's one of the cards that a lot of players go back to or used to go back to to, to be able to uh, uh, beat strong Winter decks. And if Winter does come out on top of all of this and looks very strong, um, if Ironclad can't get there, it's going to be, there's going to be a conversation about we need Chestnuts back. <laughs> I mean, I, I still see it. I actually still see it. I love that it's really? so much easier to deal with. Yeah, actually, I've uh, I've countered it pretty nicely now, you know, yeah, because shocking. it doesn't heal as much. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there's actually counterplay to the card now. Can you believe? <laughs> well, the card doesn't do anything. I mean, that, so I, I did try <laughs> playing it and it doesn't, it doesn't like... Even, you know, I played it, I got uh, two pings off it, uh, felt very accomplished, uh, and my opponent um, managed to clear it after two pings, because it was down to four health, and uh, uh, he just he just never really worried about it. The, the rest of the game just kind of played around it, because he's just like, well, look, if it's four points of damage every time, I don't care. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. <laughs> but back back to the question. Back to the question. Ignoring chestnuts, 
um uh the other nerfs i would say like because because you know shadowfen wasn't top dog in the uh meta report anyway how, how do you feel about where ironclad is right now do you feel like it's been pushed into the pack or do you think like well it's still a little bit of a stronger faction than the rest but it's it's much more manageable i definitely think it's actually uh pushed closer to the rest of the pack um because you think you know, it's in the pack or still ahead probably still slightly ahead but we don't really know yet because we don't like people are still used to the same play style of two mana you know for tonic two mana hunter's vengeance um they still kind of play it in that way which they probably shouldn't but uh, because of that, it's like, you know, it's hard to really differentiate. In many cases where they do play like Fortonic or Hunter's Vengeance or something like that, I would actually, I would compare it to the time where, okay, what if it was two mana there? Oh, that means they could have played Gifted Recruits here. I know they have it in hand, but they actually can't. They have to end their turn now. Like these are big, big change, big changes in terms of like uh, bringing down their power level and how fast they can just develop that power turn for the rest of the game. I do like it because I, I have seen actually, I've actually seen some Fortonic. And uh, I gotta say, it, it really wasn't as scary anymore because uh, they are less likely to actually set up for it because there's it's a lot more mana now. Yeah. Overall, my opinions on the way Sheepyard has been approaching the balances, I do like how most of the time they're approaching it very uh, very softly, like gently as you put it, right? Because uh, mm -hmm. honestly, the last thing you want is like a big shock in the player base, right? If something was really big, that really affected so many people whether good or bad i'm pretty sure either of those cases are actually unhealthy for a game's progress right because it's not like when something is nerfed gently and it wasn't enough it's not like it will never get nerfed again right it's just nice that the way they approach it they have the small changes right small changes compared to like what people have uh have suggested in the channels like card balancing they're very very small compared to those suggestions and <laughs> it's sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, um, I just want to say that, like, because of the small suggestions, it's nice because they really get to build the like the time scale to actually observe the data regarding the card, right? The win rate, the usages, and seeing how much different it is from before. And what if they were lucky? What if that small nerf actually was the sweet spot? It would be really bad if they nerf if they nerf or buffed something too much. And they just skip the sweet spot by a bit and they have to change it again. If anything, smaller changes, the better, right? <laughs> exactly. So you look at, look at chestnuts, right? Like chestnuts were nerfed in a previous round. The strength was decreased and the ability was not changed. And it turns out at level five, it was really the ability that was making it overpowered. So they came back in and adjusted it again. If the yeah. card, If they had done that right off the bat, it would have been, well, we accidentally did it a little too much, but we're not going to go back and rebuff the card because that would just drive everybody crazy. If, if you nerf something too far, <laughs> it's very hard to go back and make it stronger. But if you nerf something a little bit, it's easy to tweak it and nerf it a little bit more. If you buff something too much, it's easy to nerf it and bring it back. Right. As an example, what they did with Void Surges, right? They, they gave it this really big buff. Because it was so yeah. underused, underpowered, and uh, it actually was too much. There was a little outrage, right? And yeah, they Absolutely. brought it back down again. Like, we don't really want that, right? We don't really no. want that kind of, like, uh, drastic changes in the game, right? Especially with the way, with how harsh the Stormbound economy is. Anything you're investing, you're, like, a lot of time, a lot of resources, and you're just seeing the way cards 
um, operate just like going left and right. It's just very bad experience for, you know, an investment type of game, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, I don't want the pendulum swinging too far in either direction because either it's either it's too powerful i'm going to invest a ton of resources in it and then it gets changed and i'm bummed out about it and i'm looking at your experience with harry chestnuts there freeloader yeah i don't want it too far in the other direction where it's not powerful and i ignore it and leave it at level one and now all of a sudden oh no now now it's gonna get changed and i gotta put extra resources into this card that i haven't even thought about for the last six months yeah i think that's I, I think that's the 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 delicate balance that as as game designers you always have to kind of be careful about is um and I and you know I've been very critical in in the past about uh, Blizzard's handling of Hearthstone of of just you know giant crazy power cards being introduced to the game that force you to spend money and resources because you recognize that it's super powerful everyone else is going to have it you got you know as soon as it goes live everybody's going to be playing it and then within a day or two everyone everyone's got it and blizzard comes out and says guys too powerful sorry we're getting a lot of complaints we're gonna nerf it and you're like Wait, no no i just i just got it i just spent all this money on it let me play with it for a week um so it does create this sort of bad experience for everyone because a the meta gets very overrun with the card when it gets too powerful and i think that happened a little bit with void surgers uh, when when it first got uh, the buff, I think I think we saw it everywhere. I know I saw it in a couple of rush decks, uh, but but yeah, in general, I I think that the more gentle movement of cards, you know, nudging buffs and nudging nerfs, kind of a thing, is nice. The one downside to it, though, is it can prolong a meta after it's gotten stale. And so one of my concerns is just March is going to see Ironclad still on top. And that was going to be the next question I wanted to ask both of you guys is, you know, we need to help our listeners out. Lots of things got nerfed. What's good? What should they be playing? What is still very powerful? Um, I will say from from my experience today, I I played a lot more on day one than I normally do. Uh, And what I saw today was predominantly ironclad, no Fort Tonic. I did not see much Fort Tonic at all. I don't think I saw it. And Winter Pact. And in Winter Pact, I still see Hunter's Vengeance quite a bit. Uh, And uh, that Winter Pact deck that I'm seeing mostly, actually, I'll give a shout out because it was, they're all variants off of what uh, Wulifan used to make it to the Heroes League today. They're, um, you know, they've got Gift, they've got Ulf. But aside from that, there's no Frozen Core. And it's... um, Utilizing Giovanna with uh, uh, Icicle Burst and uh, uh, Frost Hexers as the two freezes in the deck uh, to just try to create swing turns throughout, like smaller swing turns where you're putting a decent sized dragon down, removing a unit from the board, uh, and then getting to play more. But then the big swing turn is that that Gift Ulf turn. What do you guys think? I'll, I'll start. I'll, we'll go back to Sabaiku. Sabaiku, what feels powerful still to you? Um, I know it's very early, but if we can give our listeners any sort of advice or direction. Yeah, so so I've been playing primarily Winter Pact this this day. I was going to say this month, but <laughs> this day so far. Mm-hmm. And it, it does still feel good. It can really still hang with most of the decks. I've gotten outrushed. I've gotten outvalued. You know, it, it's it's been a struggle as I've been trying to optimize 
a deck that works for my collection, but Hunter's Vengeance still absolutely powerful at three mana. I have no regrets about putting in my deck, but it feels fair. Uh, there are definitely times when I wished, oh man, if this were just two mana, I could play this and then follow it up with West Wind or whatever. But I, I think that it's balanced now. It's a good point for the card. Uh, I've been facing Ironclad. Um, no real Fort Tonic. Still, still a lot of buffs. Um, you know, definitely have to watch out for Hearth Guards more. I see that being played a little bit more. Mm, me um, too. Which is, you know, it, that's a nice replacement, and that's a powerful swing turn for Ironclad, right? As the only two mana structure in the game with Unstable, you can just go Unstable Hearth Guards and for eight mana if you still have your front you can put a big chunk of damage into the opponent's face uh, i've been playing a lot of swarm swarm rush still perfectly viable um you know forgotten souls is just stupidly good uh zuri based decks with dark harvest can definitely get a lot done on the board um so that that's those are all really powerful turns uh, and I haven't been seeing a ton of Shadowfen, but it's really been eating my lunch when I do because Cordia is ridiculously good, because Butchers is a ton of burst damage, because Claxi is a ton of value. Um, you know, so so I think all of the factions really do have good swing turns, good value or tempo generating turns that uh, makes what they do feel powerful. But I'm not feeling like there's anything that's overmatched when i'm playing a control deck i don't look at these turns and think well the game is over i just can't keep up with this so i'm actually at least one day in really happy with the the state of the game right now Ooh, okay so 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 you're you're gonna take the lake wobegon uh uh attacked and and all the decks are above average all the decks are viable all the decks are fun yeah no play, but i'm asking what's strongest against well, my deck is strongest. I made it myself. <laughs> okay, and Arthas, what do you, what do you think is what? Do, where do you think the uh, um, the meta is going to shake out in terms of when we're looking at the meta report in two two weeks? Where do you think most people are going to realize the 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 strongest decks are, and which factions are you going to see rise to the top? I mean, I can't say I agree with Zabaika, but that's a very hard question to. Uh, oh, for sure, no, no, for sure. I but mean, everyone's struggling with it, so we can help them with it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know to be honest. Uh, I know there's a rise of Ubis now, Ubis Five, particularly because of the chestnuts defenestration but <laughs> but please um, don't nerf that next please don't nerf that. i'm literally saving up my fusion stones I'm, for it don't I'm nerf honestly, I'm, I, as much as i'd be very sad for freeloader i think it would be extremely comical if that happened <laughs> 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 but anyway um i want i want to go i want to go to um i want to explore a different perspective about swing turns being too powerful or not and that's because like uh i know like um with what sabaika said like how there are some there are swing turns where he didn't feel like was too strong or anything like that depending on the decks you play of course there are definitely some swing turns where they are too much even as a control deck or a rush deck um for example for my experience a max level klaxi is absolutely ridiculous when they can pull that off albeit really late in the game right when they do pull it off it's game over it's almost impossible for me to get back. And uh, a lot of people might say like, oh my gosh, these swing turns shouldn't exist in the game because it's almost as if the game society. Well, for one, it happened really late in the game. <laughs> but the other thing is, I think it's totally fine if there were mechanics like this that even happened earlier in the game. 
The only thing that would be worrisome is if this mechanic or swing turn was actually abused in terms of like the frequency it's played. I think the better way to think about if something was too powerful or if it should stay in the game or not is not only like its power like on paper against like other factions or other counters. I think it's also nice to uh, actually consider the frequency of it being played. For example, Fortonic we know is extremely strong, but what made it just unacceptable was how often we saw it. Uh, as a but, counterpoint, but, but, as a counterpoint, oh. I know also about the extreme swing turn with Siren or Ult. Okay, but these are mostly happening on the ex- the extremely high levels, like the max levels, meaning that not a lot of people can actually pull this off because there's only a small handful who can who actually has the levels. Although they, I would honestly say, Ulf and Siren have the most powerful swing turns in the game. Just because of how not as common it is in the meta, it makes it acceptable in a sense. Okay, I mean, I, I will, I will agree. You see Fort Tonic more often than you see Siren, but if we consider the uh, the player base uh, like a market, right, like an investment market. Uh, the market always finds the most efficient payoff. That's what markets are good for, right? So if you believe that the market experiments and tries different things and slowly but surely comes to an agreement that that this is the most efficient, most effective payoff, blaming the market for a card, like the market's going to find the one that's most powerful. When a card is the most or you know pair of cards whatever when when a swing turn when a when a power turn for a faction is the most effective play there is in the game to win then the majority of people are going to play it blaming the player base for it that's just naturally what's going to happen you should, you know the the card's too powerful that's why that's why it's being played so much with that idea yes it makes sense it's just that um Unfortunately, with Stormbound, it's really hard to level their collection. <laughs> oh, for right? sure, right? Yeah, unfortunately, but yeah, that analogy definitely, uh, definitely has some strong implications on whether um the kind of value or mechanics certain cards have, certain swing turns have in the game, whether they should be in the game or not is uh, a very difficult question to uh to definitely tackle as uh as Sheepyard, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was wondering, like, what if we uh explored this a bit, this idea of frequency and power? together in tandem what if we uh add like a little new data graph i'm not sure if this is gonna happen but for the meta report if we can combine both the uh power score and the frequency score together as like multiplicative properties i wonder what kind of graph it's gonna look like seeing like uh you know what if what if like winter rush actually happens to be super strong but no one's playing it then uh, it's gonna fall like you know in some weird spot in the graph i think that would be really nice to explore there is a graph like that from hs replay i think and they break it into quadrants is what happens. So, and there's a straight line that goes from bottom left to top right. And anything on that line is being played at the appropriate level of frequency for its power. Things above that line are being overplayed for its power and things below the line are being underutilized based on its perceived power. We could try that. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, I will go and experiment with that, Arthas. And and if it makes any sense on the other end, it doesn't look like an MC Escher thing. Yeah, we'll give it a shot. Uh, my concern with this is that, you know, comparing it to Hearthstone stats, like there's just a lot more data available. Right now, we're working off of our volunteers tracking their own games. We're working off of a very small sample of the meta. So I, I hesitate to take too much from it. 
um, because we know that it's flawed. We don't have access to more data. We've got, we're doing the best we can with what we've got, but unless we're going to start some massive data charting project where we ask thousands of stormbound players to contribute, it's really going to be uh, very difficult for us to properly, accurately assess frequency of play. Yeah, for and sure. Win, and win rate. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and also, um, that creates, I'll, I'll warn Sheepyard of sharing that kind of data. It creates a downward spiral where the meta learns to stabilize faster and faster. The availability of that data as soon as a new patch or expansion comes out means that within hours, people have figured out what's actually working and what's not. And the meta solidifies and stops being fluid and stops changing and becomes stale within the matter of days post a, a release of cards or changes. So um, I'm thankful we don't have that kind of data because I enjoy the continual experimentation that I see uh, from my opponents. In that case, I guess I'm kind of happy that, that we are where we are. Um, Arthas, we'll, we'll leave this conversation, but if you had to say right now what you think is going to be uh, on top of the meta report uh, coming out this month, what, what, what faction do you expect to see there? in terms of most often played often played oh my gosh i still think it's ironclad <laughs> mm. okay i do too i do too all right so guys um let's move on from there and discuss the card of the week uh i'm very excited about this week because i finally got to pick one uh faithless profits uh since this is my card i'll let uh Sabaiku give us the stats on it faithless profits a shadowfin rare three mana its strength at level one is five, and then it increases from there to six, seven, eight, and ten. So very strong for three mana, and it has one movement. The reason why it's so strong for its mana cost is because of its unique effect. After surviving damage, convert itself to fight for the enemy. Freeloader, you pick the card. Start us off. So I love this card. This was one of my earliest uh, level threes. And then for whatever reason, it stayed level three until yesterday. I just upgraded it to four, <laughs> which is part of the reason why I wanted to talk about it. But I love this card because of its odd uses. Um, I like to put a unit or two on my opponent's baseline and then protect those by putting the Faithless Prophets on the edge that my opponent can attack into. Because if they attack into it with a weaker unit, they'll convert the Faithless Prophets and then the Faithless Prophets sit there like a tower, preventing any of the other units of mine on the other side of it from being attacked. That's my favorite play with it. I know David G used to love to put it on their, uh, uh, his opponent's baseline by trading into something so it would convert and be on his opponent's baseline. And then he'd use uh, Copper Skin to poison it. Uh, so that at the start of his opponent's next turn, it would uh, uh, take a poison tick, uh, convert again, and then go into base. I like that you said used to there because he did that to me two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's still great. <laughs> yes, these are definitely one of the coolest interactions with Faithless, having it, um, you know, poisoning it so that it walks into the enemy base. Because, uh, yeah, the poison actually triggers before the the unit movement actually works. So it's really funny because it converts for the enemy and then it moves backwards into your base, dealing a lot of damage. And I know, like Freeloader said, David, quote-unquote, used to do this. I know he also used to do this with uh, Toxac back then, back when it only did, you know, five or less damage. Now with Toxac doing more, it's a little harder to pull off. 
right? But uh, yeah, it is still a really, really flashy way to end or seal games. And I would say one of my favorite things about Faithless Prophets is just how many edge cases this card alone puts into the game. How many, how many bugs it is the sole reason of the sole like cause of. <laughs> it's just like like for example when my my extreme testing of Temple of Focus, <laughs> I was just like, oh yeah, you know what? We have an entire section dedicated to Faithless Prophets. We're gonna see how this card works with Temple of Focus, <laughs> and it's just. It's just like it's just bug after bug after bug. Faithless prophets looking like you know, like they're facing you, but then they're blue or they're completely like not even on the board, but they're actually there. Like you can't see them. It's just, it's such a whack card. It's so <laughs> clunky. It's so amazing. <laughs> I love it. it. the The mechanic is so unique. You can do so many weird things with it. I mean, just in general, it has a high raw strength value. So you can really use it defensively in so many cases where you would just like slot execute into your deck. But then you get to do all these weird fun things with it too. Uh, You can try to tuck it in on your opponent's base and protect it. So it does a huge chunk of damage. You can use it to protect your other units, like Freeloader said. Um, I've often tried to really keep it at level three or four. So that I can trade into something on my opponent's baseline, it survives at one, and then the butchers can go right through it for the lethal. Like that—that's one of my fun lethals with faithless prophets. Oh yeah, that's a good one. I'd say one of my. Uh, <laughs> although this isn't necessarily like practical in terms of ranked, but my main use of it is when I have a convert quest. <laughs> Because uh, converting your play, uh, faithless profits actually counts towards the quest. So you know what I do? I just uh, I put it on the board safely. I poison it, and then it's just gonna convert back and forth, back and forth, back and forth every single turn, <laughs> just moving up and down, up and down. And then my quest counter is just ticking, and it's just like heck yeah, you know this is great. <laughs> every time the enemy's front line is reset, but also not reset. <laughs> It's such a fun game experience, in my opinion. Um, but because uh, I don't have it at level five, I would love to have it at level five to really like use it to its fullest potential, right? At ten strength, that is really nice. But uh, <laughs> I it's just it's just crazy uh, the way this mechanic works and the animation itself. It's really wonky. That's my favorite thing about it. <laughs> Yeah, it's just a really fun card to play, right? Like it, it makes you think about the game differently and it makes your opponent kind of have to make some determinations as well that are a little outside the norm, which is which is why I really enjoy it. So guys, uh, that's going to end the main portion of this episode, which means it's time for me to remind you to please contact us, preferably in our channel at a Stormbound Discord server. But you can also find us on Twitter at BroodSages and always email us at thebroodsages at gmail.com. Uh, we also uh, just want to remind you, we have an additional way for you to reach out and support us. We have just started our Gumroad account about a month ago. You can come on uh, and become patrons of our work. Check out the link in our Stormbound Kitty page. Uh, this week, we didn't hear from anyone. This is the first time in a while where no one uh, really gave us a question. <laughs> But uh, that's probably a good thing because we've gone a little long anyway. Um, so let's just say that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, for Arthas and Sabaiku, I am Freeloader. We are the Brood Sages, reminding you to stay hydrated. <laughs>